I'm Brandon Munro. I'm the CEO of Bannerman Energy. We're an ASX and OTC QX listed company with the Itango Uranium Project in Namibia. Welcome to London. It's good to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be together, Matt. I'm slightly jealous of your suntan, but we'll, I'll get over it because it's a minus one here. Um, you, what are you here for? We've had World Nuclear Association Working Group meetings. Right. Doing what? What's that about? So a variety of different groups. Uh, you're well familiar with the fuel report, yeah. which we put out every two years. So this is the beginning of the next cycle. Right. So the next version of the nuclear fuel report will come out in September next year. Um, as you know, I've uh, had a lot to do with that report, but I'm no longer chairing the um, working group that... Too busy, Fran. I'm too busy. Got, got a little bit on like that. Yeah. And that's where it's all about. So you've taken the party house and streamers off. Because uh, I imagine it's, it's uh, high, high... What was it? They're very excited about what's going on. It's, it's moving through the phases, the whole uranium market. It, it's been a great week. Yeah. Looking to utilities, market participants, traders. Yeah consultants, other companies. But it's been a fun week to be right in the midst of the industry, that's for sure. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, like I say, here's about Bannerman Energy and, and, and where you go and how you go through the phases. Today, it's $103 ask on the uranium spot. You have printed $100 overnight. Unbelievable. We never thought I'd see that a year ago. Well, well it's not as quickly, I meant. And, yeah. and that's the point. That's yeah. what people have been saying yeah. all week. No one said, gee, it was never going to get to $100, mm. but everyone was surprised about the trajectory. Yeah. And that has some important implications for all sorts of aspects of our business, from equities investing right through to contracting. It's a, the trajectory has taken everyone by surprise. The absolute number, well, you know, it was always going to get there. Right. Okay. Now, I was just very conscious that there'll be lots of people watching this who are either not shareholders or have never invested in uranium before, or let alone natural resources. Um, just remind us what your ass, the, some of the numbers around your asset, the, the smaller one, well, and the bigger one, if you want. Yeah, so the reference to smaller and bigger for everyone out there. We have an enormous ore body at Itango. So as I said, it's in Namibia, really the premier uranium jurisdiction to develop a big asset in. Namibia does big open pit bulk tonnage mines very well. They've been doing it for 45 years. It's a third largest producer of uranium in the world after Kazakhstan and Canada. And we've got one of those, more than 200 million pounds of a resource. Our initial development phase will uh, commence for the initial 15 years, running 8 million tonnes through the processing circuit, through the mill. Mm -hmm. At the end of that, we'll have 3.5 million pounds of uranium. And for people who don't know uranium, that's enough uranium to go into seven to eight conventional nuclear reactors. So enough uranium to power seven to 8,000 megawatts of electricity in today's nuclear power industry. So we will be a big mine and a big player. Yeah. What's more, we've got the ore body to then bring on an expansion to go from 8 million tonnes through the processing circuit to, we think, 16 million tonnes through the processing circuit. We know we can do that because... Uh, a few years ago, our plan to develop the Tango was to do it at a 20 million tonne per annum wow. run rate, which would have produced 7 million pounds per annum. So back in those days, we had a mining reserve of 130 million pounds. And so what that expansion would do is it would just lift our run rate. It would mean that we're accessing more of the ore body a little bit earlier 
But given how massive our resource is and the fact that it all continues under the existing pitch shell at depth, this will be a multi-decade mine. Now, the other thing that's important for everyone to understand is you got a lovely Christmas present just before we broke, broke up. Mining license, you've got that now. Yeah, what does that, what does that mean? What's it mean for you? Well, it makes a massive difference for 2024. So really what it means is that the Namibian Ministry of Mines and Energy obviously collaborated with Santa Claus because they delivered it in late December as they'd, um, as we'd worked with them towards. Fantastic news for our shareholders and incoming investors because that means we are fully permitted. We've got all of the primary environmental permits required to operate a tango and to construct the mine. We've also got all the secondary environmental permits. So for example, you need to run a temporary um, uh, power line for construction purposes, a temporary water pipeline for construction purposes. We've got the environmental assessments required to okay. do those. We've got the heritage assessments. Um, we've got the social requirements. So fully permitted and together with all the other engineering that we've done, it means that this is genuinely construction ready. It's a shovel ready project. Right. And you've been through the economic study phase, licenses, permits, done, big tech, side that, um, money, you've got to get, I mean, you're, you're working towards a, well, here's the thing about it, thinking about a market like this, it's really interesting. It's like lithium's been through a, a, a tough time in terms of October, 2020, 83,000, right? 83,000 for lithium spots, right? Amazing. Down at, well, as low as two weeks ago, 12,000. There's about 13 at the moment. You know, there's an erratic, you know, um, behavior there because it's a relatively, um, in, a, in terms of the EV revolution and lithium's contribution, that people are trying to work their way around to this and maybe it, it levels out at 30, 35,000, who knows, uh, on demand. Lithium, demand story is insane. It's on steroids in terms of what the demand coming down the line is versus the ability to actually supply into that demand. So the, the, the rise in price isn't uh, unexpected. The pace at which it has uh, as, as, uh, uh, grown is, is obviously a thing that shocked us in terms of when they would be here so soon. Um, you've got to work your business model into the macro thematic here, right? So you need cash to kind of get you through to the FID. Then you're going to need to raise money to build the thing. But to do that, you're going to need contracts. So can it, there's a lot of th the things I said there, but the thing I want to get to is contracting. Mm -hmm. You need it. Where are you with it? Okay. So first point, cash to get there. We've got a cash balance at the end of November of $37 million. Right. And we don't burn very fast. Yeah. We've done all of the expensive uh, feasibility study engineering. We've completed our first feed, front-end engineering, and design phase. Mm -hmm. um, so we're totally in control of that cash balance. Okay. So cash to FID, no problem. We've got enough cash to start with long lead items. We can use that cash balance for relatively inexpensive capital expenditures that just make sure we're constantly at a walking start to be ready with construction. Okay. And that's truly what construction ready means. It's not about having a feasibility study and a mining license. It's about having a team where the engineers are working on all of this, you're interacting with potential vendors, you're working with detailed designs so that when you hit that FID moment, you're straight into construction. And that is an extremely important element of timing this 
current bull cycle properly. That's cash to FID. Yep. So then as you say, financing, which can come in many forms that we can talk about, but the many different forms of financing interact directly with contracting. So at its simplest form, you've got a typical project finance. Oh. It's banking syndicate with or without export credit agency support, a bit of mezzanine debt, and then a little bit of equity on top. Now, that would require a significant proportion of contracting because trading banks are going to want to see their debt coverage ratios. We're very pleased with how we've positioned ourselves and how we've used patience and time and shareholder flexibility to our advantage because we're hitting a market now in a position where, number one, the pricing dynamic is very favourable and getting better for us. Secondly, we can talk to utilities with a construction-ready project that they know that's been in front of them for many years, that's technically simple so they're not concerned about our delivery, and at a time when they are very concerned about achieving greater diversity into their sector. So what that means for us in practice is we're right at the beginning of starting to layer in the contracts that we would put in our portfolio. Uh, we haven't put proposals forward and signed term sheets and otherwise committed ourselves in any way to contracts six months ago, dare I say it, or even three months ago, which mm. were substantially less economic than what we... And what are contracts? What are we seeing on contracting price at the moment? Obviously, um, Scott, we talked about 103, 103, great. I mean, more than great. Uh, but I think it's got a long way to run. But contracts tend to kind of, you know, like, whilst they all play different roles at different times, but a contract has got a bit of catching up to do. And that must affect your thinking in terms of either rushing in. Like, you've always been controlled in terms of how you move this project forward. There's no beating of drums and blowing of horns. It was like, if, if controlled and measured, raise the money at the right time, which I guess gives you the shareholder flexibility in, in a way. Yeah. I mean that in a nice way. Um, but you don't want to rush into these contracting conversations yet. What is the point where you think, well, actually, it's, it, it's quite good. It's quite attractive. Let's get something going just to show you can. Because that, that's what I think some companies have been good at. They've gone very, very early even though they're very, very far away, it seems, from actual production. So what, where's the moment, where's the inflection point for you where you think, let's get one on uh, in the bag? We've got a couple of things really working for us. Now, first of all, there's some catch-up to be done for the turn contracting conditions to start reflecting the reality that we're seeing in the spot market. Great. We don't want to jump at that. However, it does take time to have these discussions and put proposals in front of utilities and understand what their needs are. And we're very fortunate because the major utilities in this sector want diversity. They're talking to us. They're very interested in what role can they play. So to answer your question, they can play a role for us because they can beat the path and they can establish that external validation for us. It would seem that they're going to be quite willing to be flexible on delivery timeframes on um, potentially initial size of delivery so without making any rods for our back either with mm. cheap pricing mm. where we've you know been a bit impatient for example or fixed delivery time frames that push us into financing or push us into construction or production at a time that doesn't work for us so there is a window to yeah. actually have our cake and eat it yeah 
Behind that, of course, that's when we would need to build out the bulk of our portfolio. And depending on which of the several financing options we're looking at, we would choose would depend on how much of our portfolio we would need to contract now, how much we would be comfortable waiting for the market to mature and prices, you know, yeah. potentially going to levels that reflect the real pricing that we saw in the 70s. Yeah, yep. No, so I'm, I'm just conscious again, people perhaps wanting to do some math in their heads here. So a reminder again of CapEx and where your, well, effective ASIC is in terms of where you start making money. Because uh, yeah, you, you're talking about three and a half million pounds, potentially seven million pounds. So there's, there's, there's a game to be played there, but just help us with that. So three and a half million pounds, the capital for that is attractive. There's a couple of benchmarks in our industry. Mm-hmm. One of those benchmarks is um, for every production pound, you want to try and stay under $100 of upfront capital. Mm-hmm. So three and a half million pounds translates into 350 million US. Now, in our case, it's 317 million US. Okay. So that's a tick. Yep. Nice and attractive on a capital intensity, particularly given it's such a long mine life asset. Yeah, which I was... Absolutely, and then in, in banking terms, you you can refinance out, the, and I hopefully reduce and amortise the cost of that over time as well. So yeah, we're all all good on that so as well. Yeah, our costs, all in sustaining costs, are circa forty dollars. Yeah, so very attractive in the current pricing environment. Uh, if we use an eighty dollars selling price assumption, which is kind of where we think we will be seeing flaws mm-hmm. in contracts, if not now, then very soon. Yeah then what that produces after tax is a um, NPV in US dollars of 435 million. Now, every dollar of the selling price assumption beyond that goes to our bottom line. So that's where this project really starts to kick in terms of leverage. Mm. Leverage partly because it's three and a half million pounds that with time we expect to be able to expand out to something like seven million pounds. Yeah. But also leverage because... We're a single asset company. All of the market capitalization reflected in our share price goes straight to this one shovel-ready asset. We're not diluted by other assets in the portfolio, mm-hmm. and that gives a very direct look-through from the additional money put on our bottom line as you start to escalate that selling price assumption and the sensitivity of our share price to that increasing NPV beyond $80 a pound. And that's really the magic for investors at the moment. They're looking around, they're thinking, well, we get that there's a real opportunity in uranium. In many cases, people are saying we don't have any uranium exposure or we don't have enough uranium exposure. And we're sitting really in the sweet spot. We've got a market capitalization under half a billion Australian dollars or for three and a half million pound heavily leveraged production profile so that gives us the blend between being a big enough company that we've got good liquidity we've got scale for investors but we're still going to be we're going to flex very well to uh, increase in uranium price assumptions and things could get yeah really interesting from here they, they can so move on to the, the next part of the understanding of where you're at and you know why you win Right, because it, it, that's the name of the game here. Most companies, not just uranium, but most junior miners never get into production. Right, it's a kind of it's a truism, unfortunately. 
there is there is a game for you to be played in the sense that you'll be one of the kind of first movers in this, right? You've kind of got the existing producers or, you know, have been recent producers and people who can, you know, restart projects which have been put under, uh, under uh, wraps uh, for now. Apart from that, it's a very short list. You look at greenfield shovel-ready projects of scale. Right. Have you, have you got that? You won't need both. Yeah. yeah. Right? Which is good because uh, utilities are going, well, where do we go? Well, that's a short list. Um, bit of competition at that point. A lot of competition at that point. So that's why I'm intrigued by the kind of contracting prices, which sort of in the market more broadly at the moment perhaps aren't, you know, the dizzy highest of spot. But you can see that moving quite quickly. But there's a kind of time frame because others are busy doing stuff, catching up with where you're at, where that move that you've got to make, that first mover advantage in terms of perception and narrative and conversation in the marketplace, in terms uh, in terms of what the utility guys understand about you and are prepared to do with you for thinking, well, these guys are catch up soon. Um, you're going to lose your leverage, negotiation leverage. At, there's a kind of point where you, the power goes away a bit because these guys are getting closer to production. So again, I know you're conscious of that and I know you've been having conversations. I know there's a lot of inbound, et cetera, but tell, tell us about what you're thinking is, is there and how many people do you see coming up behind you? Is it the other hand? No. <laughs> like, that's why we're so well positioned because you've got less than a hand, including Niger, you've got a handful of decent-sized projects and uh, shovel ready one of those handfuls. Right. And we can afford to wait for the market conditions that we think best benefit our stakeholders, including our shareholders, because it's not like that handful is going to grow in six months' time. Mm. It's not going to grow in 12 months' time. Yeah, agree. We're in rarefied air. With, the, with a couple of other development projects who are our peers right now, we're in utterly rarefied air. And even if you start looking at the smaller groups, you know, your half million pounds, they might be some fantastic assets, but they're not going to start filling in the market for us. No. Then no, I think the half million is, is um, it worries me, certainly in the North American market, those sorts of conversations, because utilities are smart boys and gals. They're, they're risk averse as well, and they're going to spread the... They're going to start small with those guys anyway. We won't take all of your half million, we'll take some of it. And they're going to spread the, the, the risk across the board because... I say they're being flexible at the moment because they know not everyone's going to be able to get it over the line. Of course. That's a truism, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's also where we're at such an advantage with our project being so simple. Mm. Open pit, your body's at surface. You've walked on it with your own. I think I've kicked it. Still emptying the sound out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is that um, out of your boots or out of your glass? Everything. So... <laughs> Uh, it's a conventional sulfuric acid heat leaching. We'd run a demonstration plant. Yeah. We piloted that heat leaching process, as you've seen. You've walked all over it. You stood on, stood on it, yeah. Six years of pilot part to examine and establish and prove every last aspect of that heat leaching, from the, the crush size to how much binder do we use mm. to how much acid at what concentration to how many days. All of that stuff, you know, we've had a lot of time to work on it. Yeah. Now, what all that means, and the so what in that, is that utilities who are not in the mining business, they're in the electricity business, mm -hmm. they can feel comfortable that we are going to come into production. That gives us an advantage. We, we, mm -hmm. we are 
the simplest or you might say the most boring uranium project in the whole but it's the massive, it's massive. I mean, you've got, I think you've kind of got kind of global up in the show, you know, or have started doing stuff on the ground as well. But the two of you sit there alone. It, it feels, it feels like in terms of uh, investments for well through the OTC, you're, you're in North American audience, um, and obviously doing quite well on the NSX. Uh, as as far, you've had a good week on the, the share price appreciation. People have, seem to be getting it. Oh, got a lot of catching up to do. Got a lot of catching up to do. Good man. Good man. We're undervalued. Oh, uh, you meant to say that, aren't you? Can we treat you as a photo? Every good CEO worth his soul, you've got to say that. And I agree in your case. Um, okay, so so you've got, you've got, so I'm looking at this thing and going, well, all the bits that you were not in control of, you've got those now. And the bit that you maintain control of is the rate at which you move forward on the contracting. And then it comes down to, as you say, the way that you go about financing the the build, mm-hmm. and there's lots of optionality obviously around that one. I think a lot of money being uh, flexed out there. Um, a lot of people interested in in, in, in in being part of that. So, does that does any aspect of the the money raise concern you? Well, you've got to get it done. You got to get it done, man. It's got to be and the best best price. price. Yeah, naive or misleading you. So it is a complex thing, but as you know, I've got a transactional background. You know, that that was my career before I joined Bannerman. So I'm not particularly perturbed by highly complex transactions. Mm-hmm. And this is in the scheme of the things that I've done with my professional career, relatively straightforward. So where we're fortunate is we've got lots of options on the financing. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go down a straightforward project financing banks 60 or 70 percent equity 30 or 40 percent and then i'm out into the market issuing a lot of shares um that's not the only option on the table at the moment and the other options are likely to be far more attractive number one we're getting shown a lot of industry money at the moment industry money far more aligned than a banking syndicate yeah don't need to tell you that yeah i want i want partners who are giving me money who want to see the pounds come out of the ground as much as i do Rather than just making sure they get paid into hell with these consequences are, I, yeah. worried, I used to be worried about the fees that we got. <laughs> um, but but it yeah. means that number one, there's a better alignment. Yeah. But secondly, they're prepared to be a lot more flexible and creative as to how much of that money they stump up. Yeah. And how much of the money our shareholders, if any, need to stump up. We've invested in this project over more than fifteen years. And that starts to become something of an equal contribution to an industry player. Mm. And the magic in this sector is that when you consider the capital cost of the reactors yeah. that they've already built, it's inconsequential then, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. You, yeah. You, know, you talk about that seven to eight reactors that uh, our full, uh, three and a half million pounds of production can mm. service. Now, even if they were built exceptionally fast and exceptionally cheap in China, you still got $40 billion worth mm. of capital, $40 billion against a 300-odd million dollar yeah. requirement to build a mine that's going to service those reactors for decades. There's an arbitrage in terms of the size of the customer's capital expectation in their balance sheet mm. and what we need. And it just so happens that the timing in this sector and the combination of a desire for diversity a genuine anxiety about supply security and some 
uh, faltering steps of some of the large producers in this sector have all come together at exactly the right time to give us lots of options. Right. I'm going to wrap it up there because there's no other boxes to tick. You, you've ticked the boxes on the Walmart stunning. I hear you on the, on the money side of things. It's, it's into a very positive environment. And we will talk in a few moments in the energy show about the geopolitics of all of this as well. Because there's, again, some decisions, some options for you to look at there, um, especially of what I'm hearing from conversations in Riyadh recently as well. Not, not, not just COP, but um, there's a kind of big conference been going on this week. Very, a lot of money around, sloshing around looking for uranium. So um, appreciate your time. I'll speak to you in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Matt. Cheers.